You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, and welcome to the Drive Time Show, and may the blessings of God Almighty be on everyone who's tuning in today and listening to us live for the Drive Time Show between 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, and today is the 8th of September, and we'll be covering two wonderful topics uh, in the first hour. But just before that, we do, from the Voice of Islam Radio, want to just acknowledge the situation that we're hearing today after 12.30 this afternoon, Buckingham Palace. They issued a statement saying that the Queen's doctors were concerned about her health and recommending that she remains under medical supervision and then soon after that we heard that all of the Queen's children were either already by her side at Balmoral Castle in Scotland or they were on her way. We do know that Prince Charles, Camilla and Princess Anne are there at Balmoral and Prince William the Queen's eldest grandson and second in line to the throne is also on his way there while Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, remained in Windsor as her children are on their first full day at their new school. And we also know that Prince William's brother, Prince Harry, and his wife, Meghan, had been in the UK in recent days for engagements and now known also to be travelling to Scotland in our in Balmoral. So we will obviously let you know and keep you updated if any further situation occurs on there. But we did receive a couple of texts and tweets. But uh, we know that Liz Truss, who was newly appointed the UK's Prime Minister, and she had herself travelled to Balmoral to be appointed by the Queen. And in a tweet, she said that the whole country will be deeply concerned by the news from Buckingham Palace this lunchtime. My thoughts and the thoughts of the people across our United Kingdom are with Her Majesty the Queen and her family at this time. And Sukir Starmer also sent a tweet out as well, along with the rest of the country. I am deeply worried by the news from Buckingham Palace this afternoon. My thoughts are with Her Majesty the Queen and her family at this time. And I join everyone across the United Kingdom in hoping for her recovery. And so do we as well to all of our listeners at Voice of Islam Radio and specifically Drive Time wish a speedy recovery for our Queen and may she have a full recovery and be back doing her duties and there to be back in the limelight as we all want to see the Queen regularly. So that's, uh, if anything, more progress is on that. We'll try and give that to you during the next two hours during this um, live uh, show as well. And and obviously in the two subjects that we are talking about today is about the UK drought. Is this the new normal? We're already seeing uh, situations where there is a lack of water. We've just been through our own drought and probably it may return. But actually here in London, it's raining. So how does that all makes sense to you three days ago or a week ago we had a drought now we've got rain and we still have the 
worrying of water shortages. But we will get to the bottom of that talking to our guests uh, in the first hour. Looking forward to talk to Mark Thomas and Dr. Jess Newman, um, who is a high hydrologist and it'll be great to get her thoughts on that and uh, Mark Thomas he is the head of services at the farming community network and in the second hour we'll be talking um, about another subject which is literacy and we are today celebrating the International Literacy Day which is always held every year on the 8th of September and it's great for us to be able to do that and talk to you about that as well and as always uh, we do do our best to try and make this live show as interactive as possible and we're asking a question on our Instagram uh, in relation to the internet International Literacy Day, which is being celebrated today, and it's being run since uh, 1967. But I, that's what I remember. But I'm sure we can get some clarification on that as well. So yeah, let us know what book you are reading currently. And I think most of the Muslim world, obviously, the book they'll probably read most days is the Holy Quran. That's obviously a book in itself, but it's very, it's our holy book of Islam, which we follow uh, the teachings in that. And we'll delve into that a lot more detail. But yeah, definitely, please do get in touch with us about that. And we will be talking to the headmistress of Portsmouth High School, Jane Prescott, about this. And I'm really interested to ask her about why is it so important that we have a high level of literacy. And then we'll be talking to Ned Zimmerman Bent, who's the co-founder of Goggy Up. So why don't we just um, wait for that for the next hour? So stay, stay tuned in all of that coming up. So we've got a pretty packed show for the first two hours and in the first hour we will be talking to you about our first subject which is UK drought the new normal and I'll be really interested to hear your thoughts on this as well because so many people about two weeks ago were suffering in the heat that we had and it was expected that it would last for a long time and extremely devastating but it happens all over the world but it's continuing to happen. And is this the new normal? Because we know in, in hot countries like North Africa or even West Africa, in the Middle East, it's hot there all the time. But we had a drought and we didn't know how to cope. So are we ready for the next drought, which I'm sure will be coming on its way? You know, experts have warned us that South East England could be tipped into severe and devastating droughts without above average rainfall this winter so we need extra rain that's going to come down precipitate for us to be able to ensure that we don't have an above average of devastating droughts we need this rain and while the current water uses in restrict uh use are in restriction in London, we all know we had this hosepipe ban, which always seems to happen. And in also in the surrounding areas, it's also expected to last until even the new year if the rainfall doesn't return. We all know that the rain goes in the north of England, Scotland, and it makes its way down to London. But that's why you started seeing the hosepipe ban bans starting 
in the southeast of England because the rain didn't make its way down to us and it stayed up in the north because they obviously needed it as much as we needed it, but it was used in all the different ways that water rainfall is used. In the Holy Grant, Surah Maryam, which is chapter 19, verse 64, it states, and true the, and, and the true servants of the gracious God who's, who walk on the earth and to walk humbly. So it says in, in this verse, it says, and the true servants of the gracious God are those who walk on the earth humbly. And there's some meaning and reflection in that as well, because if mankind keeps on damaging this world, and we know how it damages the world, we see the pollution we see the depleting of the ozone layer. We see nuclear tests that are being carried out all the time, some we don't even know of. And obviously, the warfare, the destruction of what's happening. We also, in Europe, after so many, many, many years of peace, we're seeing war on our own doorstep with Russia invading Ukraine. And we're seeing the dispersion of that and the disruption. So then how will we be able to do the one thing which God has sent, set out for us? We all know that we've been put on this earth to serve mankind and worship God as well. But if we're unable to do that, then how can we work towards fulfilling what we've been put on this earth to do? And we should be taking care of the earth so that we're able to worship God Almighty. And we know with the displacement of millions of people and what they go through and and the stresses and the pain that's all happening all relates to all of this. But we are discussing today the UK drought, the new normal. Please uh, get in touch if you've got something interesting that you want to talk to us about. And we will be talking to our first guests uh, very shortly as well. So in, in July, here's some statistics for you. And I wanted to share these statistics with you as well so we can get an idea as to what it is that we're, we're doing here today. So in July 2020, it was the driest July for England since 1911. That's a long time. That's obviously more than 100 years. And therefore, when you contemplate that, why is it 100 years? What are we doing that's making it happening? And the driest July on record for East Anglia, Southeast and the Southern England was all those records that were broken. And according to the kind of provisional statistics from the Met Office, it was clear that the driest July for England was since 1911, which is pretty amazing when you start thinking about it as well. The rainfall has not been distributed evenly in July either, um, as is often the case in the UK, which I said earlier. Most of it all ends up in the north and it kind of makes its way down. And it's important to understand that we need the rain down here in the south um, much more than we need it in the north. I mean, England has just 35%, which is 23.1 millimetres of its average rainfall for the month and Wales had 53% which is 52 millimetres and Northern Ireland has 51% which is 45.8 millimetres and Scotland was 
top with 81%, 83.6 millimetres. And that kind of explains why I'm saying it happens much more in the north as well. And regions in the south and east that were especially dry, with southern England reporting its driest July on record in the series that goes back to the 1836 with 10.5 millimetres of rain, which is just 17% of its average rainfall. And in addition, 13 countries... Sorry, 13 counties across southern and eastern England reported their driest July on record, including Hampshire, Surrey, Berkshire, Dorset and Kent. We all know how beautiful these places are, especially if you've managed to visit Dorset in your holidays in the UK. You would know how beautiful Dorset is as well. And northern Scotland received 98%, 99.4 millimetres of its July rainfall. And you can see the effects it has on that so we'll we'll go into that a little bit more detailed but what I wanted to do was talk to our first guest who has joined us on the show Mark Thomas who is the head of services with the FCN which is the farming community network and it's great to be able to have him join us today welcome to the drive time show Mark Thank you. Good afternoon. Good, good to join you. Oh, thank you very much. It's a pleasure with us as well. Are you able to explain to us what FCN is, the Farming Community Network, and what you do to help with it? Yeah, yes, of course. Um, just, just before I do yeah, that, I wonder if you'd let me just, 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 just to say that um, the thought, thoughts and prayers of many in the farming yeah. and rural community today are obviously with Her Majesty the Queen yes. and her family. Uh, they're very, they're great supporters of everyone in farming, and um, we'd just like to pass that on, uh, if we may, please. Of course, you so, can. yes, yeah. I'm a, I'm a staff. Thank you. I'm a staff member with the Farming Community Network. We're, we're a, a charity and a voluntary organisation. We operate in England and Wales, yeah. um, and we exist to help improve the health and well-being of people in the farming community. That's both people who are practically actively farming, uh, but also those who are in all the support services that surround agriculture. Mm. Um, And we're also there to support those who might be going through a difficult time experiencing particular difficulties. And we do that in three ways. We have a helpline that's open every day from 7am to 11pm. We have 30 local groups, county groups of volunteers. We have 400 volunteers in total. Um, And those those volunteers are all connected with farming in some way. They understand the issues, they talk the language, and they're there to provide ongoing support to people who might need it. We, we call it walking with people as they go through a difficult, a difficult time. Yeah. And then um, we also do quite a bit of proactive work, trying to encourage people to look at how they take care of themselves, those that they live and work with, because really we'd rather people didn't need to ring a helpline. Yeah. So we do a lot of work in that respect as well. I think it's really important when you also talk about be proactive in helping yourself as well. And I know what you're referring to is if you're a farmer for over 10 years or you've been in the family for generations after generations and you've got acres and acres of land and slowly all your crop is being destroyed because of the heat and the drought, what do you do next? And, And are you going to get sufficient water to be able to feed your crops so they can produce or or you have to change it what you do because I mean you've probably seen so many changes in the farming community over the last say 10 years ago until now I mean considering 
we're in a cost of living. How are you going to see these changes happen? Well, you're right. Um, the, the farming community is well used to change and, and facing adversity, the difficult times. Um, of course, as primary producers, farmers and growers are, are the first rung, if you like, on a, a food supply chain. Um, and, that, and that is controlled by the large processors and yeah. food retailers. Farmers are a, a very individual, a very single cog in, in that wheel, and they tend to be at the bottom of that chain. And so they're price takers, they're not price makers in many situations. And so profitability of many farms is often very marginable. Uh, we've, we've also over, over recent years seen an increase in food standards, and environmental regulation, yeah. and uh, that's all good. But of course, it places extra pressures on those people who uh, need to adhere with those requirements. Yeah. We've got fewer people on farms, mm. yeah. and so um, isolation has been a growing issue for many uh, farms. As you probably know, used to employ many, many people, but mechanisation, robotics, yeah. AI, these things are reducing that. Uh, access to seasonal labour following Brexit, yeah. we're all well aware of, of that difficulty. Animal disease outbreaks, yeah. things like bovine TB is an ongoing problem. And, yeah. and they don't just impact on a farm business, they impact on the, uh, the well-being of the family who care very much for their livestock. Yeah. We've had a pandemic, of course. Over the last, the list is going on, Mark. It's not going to stop, is it? So you can see the challenges. Indeed, but on top of that, now we've clearly got what you were alluding to, which is the increase in energy costs. Um, That's affecting the inputs on the farm to grow the crops. You've probably heard about the fertilizer increases uh, in in costs, and now we've got a cost of living crisis as well. yeah. So, uh, as you rightly point out, there's an awful lot going on at the moment. Yeah, I mean it's. fascinating how you describe one by one it doesn't stop and also when you look at the farming community i I still remember the days of the foot and mouth disease where you said it doesn't just affect the farmers it affected all communities across down the country you know we weren't allowed to travel anywhere and it was um, quite limiting in that aspect as well but we've moved on from that with so many other disasters that you're talking about as well so during the last few months we have just come out of a drought and it was declared in the UK. You have mentioned quite significantly about the effects it's had on people, the isolation and the cost as well. But did you, how has this affected their earnings as well? Because obviously the cost of living has gone up. We know to buy what they were buying originally, they probably can't source because they're just too expensive. And we know the wheat that comes out of Ukraine has affected. You know, in the short term, in this last couple of few months, has it really affected their earnings in a big way? Well, I heard in your introduction you were you were talking about um, some of the southern counties. I, I live yeah. in Hampshire. Um, I put a big shout out for Hampshire. I, I heard you bigging up Dorset a little bit there, <laughs> uh, so I've got to stand up for Hampshire. But um, we we in Hampshire have had a, yeah. an extremely dry summer Um, a lot of the farming in hampshire uh, and and in the the southeast would be uh, arable based so production of the the crops we eat cereals oilseed rape Um, and and the the upside to the drier weather has been that they've had quite a successful harvest Mm -hmm. they've been able to complete their harvests often in in record times Um, 
But unfortunately, of course, because it's been so dry, we've also seen a large number of, of fires that have been that's right. caused by the machinery, the combines in the field. Yeah. And so that's been pretty traumatic for, for quite a number of farms. Yeah. Um, and now they desperately need moisture. And thankfully, it's been raining here in North Hampshire today. Mm. In order to get next year's crops going, right. they'll be going into the ground over the next couple of months, yeah. the, the wheat. The... Yeah. And also... Um, Mark, you're still with us. I, I think we probably lost Mark then. We'll probably try and get Mark back uh, with us uh, as he was talking about the wheat that is being grown and, and the effects. So we'll just try and get Mark back there as well. And it's really interesting how Mark explained about the ability for farmers to be able to get the human resources to be able to pick the vegetation and also farm them. So they need, probably need to change what they're doing as well. So anyway, look, I wanted, just before we get Mark uh, back uh, with yeah, us. Back. Oh, Mark, how are you doing, man? Sorry. Sorry Carry on that. with what you're saying. Because really, yeah, I mean, so, you're so in full the, flow that, there. That was the arable crops. Um, <laughs> then, then in the horticultural yeah. crops, so that, that's the, the vegetables we eat. Um, obviously, they've had big restrictions on irrigation. That's affected the yields. Uh, and the quality of some of the fresh produce, and we're going to see that impact in what we, what we, uh, what we're buying in the supermarkets. That they're, yeah. they're likely to have to change their quality uh, requirements yeah. um, in that respect. Um, and from a livestock farmer point of view, the lack of summer grass growth means that they've had to break into their uh, their winter fodder, their winter rations yeah. early. Um, so that obviously then has a knock-on effect in terms of their costs and their cash flow yeah um but fortunately we've seen now some some rain in most places and, and hopefully that will start to relieve the yeah. situation i'm not sure where you are uh but certainly around me things have started to get a little bit greener again which is quite yeah. a relief yeah we're seeing that I and mean, if i look in my garden during the drought season my i thought my grass had all died but actually come after a bit of rain i mean although we were lucky we didn't get to hosepipe and we were out there um, we were out there watering our grass just to make sure, just in case we may have had that hosepipe ban and we weren't able to do it. So it, um, I don't know if Rezos, who's also yeah. here as well, I mean, what's, is, what's the grass like at your end? <laughs> well, I don't have a garden. <laughs> not that for, But Mark, yeah. when you said um, uh, right now, situation recovering, we are seeing some, some rain. How long does that um take for the farmers when you you're just talking about the livestock farmers they had to um reach into their winter uh reserve or you know the fodder how long does that take for them to recover is 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 that going to be any help uh, if we see that rain in the coming days i think it will be some help it, obviously the the type of rain we're getting uh tends to be quite localized hmm. you can you can get a downpour in one area and um, a few miles down the road, they don't see any rain. And of course, when you get a downpour on compacted, dry ground, yeah. it can quite often run off. And so the question you ask is, is, is entirely appropriate. How, how much use is it going to be? It's going to be very variable. It will t- depend on your soil types and where you are in the country. But we're not going to say no to it. You know, we'll say yes to anything sure. at the moment. Um, but there will be, certainly for the livestock farmers, 
whether they can recoup what they've lost in terms of their grass production, their forage production now, um, is questionable. And I suspect we're going to see an impact from that through the winter. Uh, that's a really important question because that's probably on the tip of so many people's mind. If you know how much rain do we need? Because we mentioned earlier in our introduction that although we've got some rain, is it still going to be sufficient enough for us to be able to one fill up our reserves and then be able to use it for agriculture? To actually then do we go? Are we going to have the water? that we have in our households affected as well. Mm. So that's always a worrying thing, although we're talking about the situation with farmers, but actually it must be going through so many people's mind that, okay, the water, well, it's easy for us in the United Kingdom, we just turn a tap on and, and we get water coming out. But actually even there were some anxious people thinking, well, if I turn a tap on, we've got a hose pipe ban, will I still get it? And will the water still be as fresh? Because obviously when we have less water that's coming down and it's flowing and then it's supposed to fill up our rivers, but actually the we have to start using our reserves. So is there, some, is there a difference in the water in our reserves than it is that comes from the rainfall? That's a question. Sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a water expert, I'm afraid, but um, I, I, do, I do a bit of fly fishing and I can tell you that the... <laughs> All the rivers, all the chalk streams um, in Hampshire have been very dry, and um, mm. they they need they need replenishing. Yeah. Mm. Well, okay. Well, listen. Really appreciate uh, your time as well. But what I wanted to do just before we let you go as well, I, I know you are from the farming community network as well. Being a farmer is a full time job, right? And it, and it's the whole family is involved with it as well. And so it, when you hit these drought situation. It affects the family in a big way. I mean, how, besides all of the support you give, what, are they making different choices now on what they should be farming their land? Do they have to change it? Um, they, they will be looking at um, they will be looking at how they farm, what, what the business is about. Some farms will be diversifying. Um, and obviously, like, like everyone at the moment, you know, we've all got financial concerns about putting food on the table, about heating the house. Um, and the, the drought and what they've been experiencing just recently uh, mm. is just a, another stressor on top of yeah. the other things that, yeah. that affects them. I tend to think of it a bit like a, a pressure cooker. If you imagine layers of different things that are, that are mounting up, um, we, we get calls about family relationship difficulties, financial mm. problems, uh, physical and, and mental well-being, things to do with tenancies. Some farmers own their land some farmers rent their land yeah. and that can lead to problems um, legal matters things to do with animal welfare uh, rural crime is, is an increasing yeah. problem and and these things tend to build up over time and then something will cause the valve to release and that's thankfully that's when people will then pick up the phone and talk to us i wish yeah. they did it a bit earlier yeah. r- rather than wait for the valve to go off but at least they pick up the phone and talk to us. And sometimes it will be something like a farm inspection that hasn't gone very well. And they, they need to talk to someone. They pick yeah. up the phone and they start talking about that. But actually, you realize that there are lots of other things beneath the surface that have led to yeah. um, them feeling they need to talk. That's right. And another, another thing that is very common on farms, because farming is a way of life, they, that the, the kitchen is the farm office quite often there's no getting away from it and mm. so a burnout not being able to get away from the farm not being able to to rebuild one's energy 
take a break, um, that that can that can mount up yeah. over time yeah. as well. I, I think that's really a valid point there because the problems that you've described and the problem that we, like myself and Reza, uh, also witnessed. But actually, as farmers, you see the problem much earlier on. Yes, uh, I think I think the great thing um, about uh, about farming is is the strength in community, yeah. um, and they they look out for each other. Uh, they're quick to offer support to their neighbours, um, and they'll they'll spot when someone is um, is not doing so well. Yeah. Uh, and that strength of community is really, really important. And if they wanted to get hold of you, if they needed some help, do they just go to the website? Uh, well, the helpline is, uh, as I say, open every day, 7am to 11pm. That's on 03000 111 And on our helpline, you get to talk to someone who does understand about farming. So they'll they'll talk your language if, if you're a farmer. Yeah. We also have um, an email help facility, which is help at SCN. .org.uk. Um, uh, but otherwise, yes, people can visit our website. It's farmwell.org.uk. And there's, there's a huge amount of information on there about building personal and, and farm business resilience, looking after yourself, etc. Okay. Great. Thanks, Mark. Really appreciate your time uh, joining us today. And we wish you all the best we can wish you in this current, difficult, challenging time. Thanks again. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So that was Mark Thomas. He's the head of services with FCN Farming Community Network. And, you know, you can still get in touch with us. You can still answer that question we've got going on for our second hour of the show. You know, which uh, book are you reading? But if you've got any concerns about anything, by all means, get in touch. Essentially, there's a way, talking about drought, mm. right? Well, we're, when we talk about drought, we're talking about water, aren't we? Yeah. And water in itself is really important in hmm. terms of how it affects our body and everything, right? And, and it's not something that, as you mentioned, we we think about that much here in these countries. You expect, I mean, the, <laughs> I've had, uh, I think it was last year or I think a couple of years ago, oh, look, there's a rainbow outside right now, by the way. Oh, beautiful. <laughs> Maybe you'll see two. <laughs> um where you know i'm i'm sure everyone's experienced this if there's a water pipe uh, that's broken or you know some some repair works happening and and going on and you don't have the water even if they've told you beforehand look we're going to do some water works and it might be that you're not going to have water for like an hour or two it's it's quite stressful I mean, you know this is going to happen, and it's it's going to be very limited for an hour, for two hours, yeah. for three hours, whatever it is. And still, you you get anxious that I'm turning on the tap, nothing's coming out. So to conserve water, to be um, not not to waste water, this is not something that is a problem of today. This is a you know the teaching has been given to us uh, by the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him fourteen hundred years ago. Um, and resources in general uh, mm. the, that we have to to be um, responsible to 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 use them yeah. responsibly. That's something quite important. I, I remember in a previous show we sat together. You explained that hadith where the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was standing next to a river. Yeah. Although the river was flowing with mm. with just gushings of water, but still at that moment he said, "Don't waste water." Yeah. 
And, and, and I think, look, if you look at how he used to do his ablution, yeah. for example, again, we turn on the tap and we, it's just running. And some of them, if, if I come across some of the, the worshippers, it's, 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 on, it's on full. Yeah. And you're washing your arms, you're washing your face, whatever it is. But at least, I'm, I'm telling you, if, if, not, if not more, there's at least two to three liters that just goes to waste. Yeah. And you've been to Africa, I've been yeah. to Africa. I've seen the struggle that people have to go through to just have clean drinking water. Yeah. So on this note, on the 9th of June 2015, whilst inaugurating a mosque in journey, Germany, His Holiness Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, he mentioned and he spoke about the importance of water, especially when you look at developing countries. He said that here in the West, it is common for people to waste water. But I personally spent eight years living in Africa, and so I have seen for myself how desperate for water those people are. Young children, no older than seven or eight, have to walk for miles with large water vessels balanced on their heads in order to retrieve water from dirt-filled ponds. We, Ahmadi Muslims, seek to help such deprived people by providing water relief to them through the installation or rehabilitation of water pumps in the most remote parts of the world. When the pumps begin to work and water begins to flow, the happiness on the faces of the local people is indescribable. Mm. And I'm I'm telling you, I've I've been to those areas where His Holiness uh, used to live, and it's it's in the northern parts of Ghana. Yeah. Even nowadays, it's so difficult to to for us. It was it would be very very difficult to to live there to, to you know to, to to just stay there for eight years or a, a year even. Yeah. Um, infrastructure getting there yeah. and the facilities available there yeah. I've seen the well where his holiness used to um, you know get his water from I've seen the river that he's talking about yeah. where kids used to um, you know grab the water from the river and it's we're talking about brown yeah. brownish very murky water yeah. and how they then when the when the water pump was installed what change that created and again for us to know that you have um, water just opening the tap. Think about everything that is involved. If you have to walk, if you have to go get the water, come back with it, do all of these things, it's time-consuming. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's about money, it's about time, it's about energy. So many things that you can do, which we have the luxury of, that unfortunately in some developing countries we don't. I mean, it's really important to me to talk about time. Time, yeah. So where they, young children, as his holiness mentioned, I mean, he's talking about this because he's lived it, he's yeah. experienced it, he's talking from experience, he knows exactly mm. what it is. So when you talk about time, you and I will get up in the morning, brush our teeth, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. it is, and we're there, yeah. we're going to work, yeah. we're going to college, we're going to school, where your kids are... They're educating themselves, but these children mm-hmm. not even allowed to go to school because mm. they someone needs to go and get the water for the family. Yep. So where are they going to get um, an education? How are they going to become literate, which we're going to be talking so, about? So many things that are linked to it. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? and you've got all these other diseases as well, the airborne diseases yeah. uh, as well. And it's really interesting to be able to dwell on that, but... We're going to be talking to our next guest. Yes. So from the University of uh, Reading, we have uh, Dr. Jess Neumann with us on the line. He's a hydrologist. Uh, personally, I've 
come across an hydrologist for the first time. So it's yeah. very interesting for me to find out what Dr. Norman actually does. Um, with that, we're going to welcome him. Good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show, Dr. Norman. Hello, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, so uh, I want to ask you about your course at the University of Reading. What exactly does your course consist of? Uh, what is it that you teach? As a hydrologist, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so as you said, I'm a, I'm a hydrologist. I teach hydrology to our undergraduate students. And that uh, is a sort of broader scale is um, the study of water, particularly fresh water, how it's stored in the environment, how it moves through the environment, and how we as human society and also sort of ecosystems interact with that water to create a healthy, balanced system. Wonderful. Now, we've come across a few causes of, uh, we're talking about the UK drought. Uh, there's a few causes, uh, or, you know, let's say three main types of droughts, the meteorological, meteorolo- meteorological drought, hydrological and agricultural. I want to ask you about um, the situation that we are here in the UK at the moment. What's your opinion about, you know, the causes of the drought? How much of that? What, is there anything that we can, we could have avoided to mm. to you know that 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 we came to this point? So, as you said, the sort of meteorological drought is the one that we're probably as society most familiar with. That would be the one we hear about on our weather services, and it's fundamentally a lack of rainfall. And that is what we've seen across the UK um, in the spring and also the summer. We've had these heat waves. We've had, you know, in some places, I think, you know, months without really any hmm. rainfall. Hmm. And that that's fundamentally what drives drought in the first place. Then you've got these sort of um, agricultural drought or soil moisture drought. And this is a sort of knock-on impact um, of this lack of rainfall. Uh, that is where you've got a deficit or not enough water in the top sort of one meter of soil. And that tends to impact on agricultural crops and growing ability, which is why we call it the agricultural drought. And um, perhaps more long term, we're into something called hydrological drought. That is where our river systems, our reservoirs, our groundwater also go into deficit. They don't have enough water and that starts to impact potentially on public water supply which is when we start to get things like hosepipe bans and, and, and then yeah. those sort of measures implemented to help control water use. Fascinating stuff. Is, is, would that explain sometimes where you would have so much water in one area and then in another area it will be completely lack of water because the ground is compacted so much and it just runs off the water and suddenly you get a street that's full of water in the hillside? Yeah, exactly that. So, I mean, generally in the UK, the western and northern side of the UK tends to be wetter with the south and the east drier. So we would expect that um, drought as as what you would normally expect Mm. as sort of rainfall is going to affect the south and the east first not always and as we've seen recently it's affecting the whole of the country Um, and and what we tend to see as well is during times of drought quite often that goes hand in hand with hot dry weather and that leads to as you said very dry soils that can't absorb water very well and just like we've seen across much of the uh, the UK in the last couple of days suddenly we get these intense downpours which can lead to flash flooding 
which is almost the flip side of the impacts of drought because people are saying, well, it's been dry for, you know, weeks or months and suddenly now I'm two feet underwater. Mm. So this has a knock-on impact and it's quite hard to predict exactly where that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it does does happen right. in different places yeah. at different levels. So that, that would explain, because wh- when, where it dries, the ground is compacted. So the level of that ground is much lower. So it will create these artificial kind of ponds, I guess, or these big surplus of water accumulating into one area. Yes, it will just run off. Yeah. Um, it can be it can be hillsides, it can be sort of low-lying land, anywhere where it's gone quite hard and compacted, especially yeah. if you've got um, people walking on it or, or grazing agriculture. Yeah. It literally just acts like concrete and it will pool at the lowest point that it can, which wow. is often our houses. So... Just taking the conversation a bit further, I mean, climate change, I mean, it's on the tip of everybody's tongue. It's it's talking about it. We've had the flash floods in Pakistan, where which has devastated a country which is unable to cope, which needs international assistance. But has this had a massive impact on the world today? Or maybe especially even in the UK, are we going to be seeing this more and more? Yes, absolutely. I mean, climate change, it, it's really good so to speak to, to hear people are really sort of on board with climate change now and I've spoken to a lot of people this summer particularly UK based where we don't have generally such extreme weather and we haven't you know fortunately been suffering with sort of conditions that we've seen in Pakistan and places yeah. but there's a lot of people this year saying wow I can really see the impacts of climate change now on my doorstep you know we're into a fourth autumn the leaves are starting to fall off the trees because yeah. it's been so dry. And actually, it, it's really concerning because climate change isn't something that affects international boundaries or, um, or barriers. It, it affects the whole globe. And what we're seeing is severe droughts in Australia, severe droughts in America, flooding in Pakistan and, and everything in between. And, and it's really it's really concerning as to what's going to happen in the future and, and the steps that we need to take as a society. Yeah. So what are your students and what are you doing about it? What re- kind of research are you working on to try and help us with this situation? So we work on um, anything from flooding to drought to heat waves, um, quite a lot in forecasting. So that's trying to improve the warning systems that are there and getting that sort of um, that message of impending floods or droughts out to people and communicating it um, in good time so that steps can be taken where possible. Um, we do quite a lot working with local communities. Um, so, for example, we call it natural flood management, engaging with farmers and landowners to see how we can better prepare our environment to cope with these changes. You know, what can we do to hold water back and to help not just with floods, but with droughts as well? Because obviously, mm. as we've seen, we're affected by both. So, yeah, lots of different things going on. Um, <laughs> I can go in more detail if you'd like to. Or... <laughs> Uh, on another day when we cover this topic again, which I'm sure, as you said, we're going to be seeing all these weather patterns uh, again and again. So we'll obviously look to you for your expertise. But for now and today, we'll thank you very much for your insight into this conversation. We wish you the very best. And listen, we've now spoken thank to our first hydrologist. Yes. <laughs> Tick off the list. Dr. Jess Nyman, thank you very much for your time once again. Have thank a great you. Bye bye. Take care. 
020-868-7878 is the number for you to call if you want to join the conversation. Just uh, before we move on, there's a message from the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, His Holiness Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed. Um, we started off the show by um, uh, you know, wishing uh, our uh, queen, um, her, her, her majesty, yeah. uh, a quick and speedy recovery. And uh, His Holiness has also... Um, sent a message uh, saying that at this deeply wearing time on behalf of Ahmadi Muslims around the world, I send my heartfelt best wishes to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II and pray for her recovery and a return to good health. May Allah the Almighty out of His grace and mercy grant our Queen good health and keep her under His protection. Amen. Amen. I mean, it is a very worrying situation and we've, we've discussed the royal family many times on the show we, we understand exactly the role they played we understood the role that queen victoria played uh, especially in india and pakistan how religious freedom mm. was there and 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 the monarch has been instrumental in creating lots of uh, peace around the world and stability mm. and so our heart definitely goes out to her and such lovely words from his holiness well, of course yeah. now um we spoke about some of the the you know the types of drought, yeah. uh, and, and I think uh, Dr. Neumann was also talking about the meteorological drought, the hydraulic uh, hydrological, and of course the agriculture. But there's also some droughts that can be caused by human activities. For example, you have um, something not you know dam related, but also the flood related. When she was talking about the floods in Pakistan. The dam building, for example, uh, large dams, they can be built across the river to produce electricity and store water in a reservoir, and which can reduce river water flowing downstream and cause droughts below the dam. Or if it's not done properly and, 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 and correctly, it can yeah. cause a flood as well, yeah. uh, as we've seen in some countries around the world. So you have deforestation, something that... You know, was tackled at the climate uh, summit as well. You have climate change in general, which we spoke to Dr. Norman as well about. Um, and 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 these things. That's something that needs to be tackled. This is something that world leaders have been trying to, you know, deal with. But again, as long as everybody is not pulling on the string on the same string, it's not going to have the effect that we actually want to see in the world. I mean, all of the examples you gave there in terms of human activity is is what the verse I read out at the beginning, Hmm. where it said in chapter 19, verse 64, and the true servants of the gracious God are those who walk on the earth humbly. And it kind of explains that we have a responsibility to look after the earth. And obviously, when you do too much agriculture, you do too much dam building, you get rid of all the trees who Mm. hold the water, and now it's affecting on the overall climate change. And also in the Holy Quran, it says in Surah Al-Anbiya, which is chapter 21, verse 31, it says, and we made from water every living thing. I mean, that in itself is quite a powerful verse there. It it explains the Holy Quran is replete with its reference and the emphasis on the importance of conserving water. And we've spoken about this in the Hadith, which I mentioned, you mentioned many times uh, when we get together about saving water uh, as well. So it is very important. Hmm. And it's 
actually the survival of all living things, right? Yeah. We can't go without water. We can go without food, but yeah. we can't go without water. Right? No, absolutely not. And that gives you the importance of, of water. And uh, I'm not sure who, who said it, but mm. on a you know a bit darker note, that the, the, the next war, the next big war, which, I mean, it's already happening, the next war that is going to be fought will be fought over water. Yeah. Um, resources, natural resources, you, as you said, you... you, you can go without food for days, but without water, yeah. that's a that's a tough situation. I mean, the, the process in itself. So, if you got water yourself to try and purify it, so you could drink it, hmm. your own, you have to try and get the water, boil yeah. the water, yeah. and then steam it, and then you get the natural process again. But how much can you do to be able to have that water? We need to be done on the largest scale possible. Yeah. We can't do what God's created. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Yeah. So, so on that note, there is a prayer is it, that we could ask when it comes to a, a drought, because it has happened in the past when you look at the, the history as well, because you can do a prayer that basically you can ask for God for the ability that give us rain and abundant yeah, yeah, and yeah. widespread. And I don't remember exactly what, what that is. Hmm. Uh, no, it is. Um, uh, I mean, the translation of it would yeah. go that, oh, Allah, shower upon us abundant rain, beneficial, beneficial, not harmful, yeah. swiftly and not delayed. Uh, you also have a different one that says that, oh, Allah, give water to your slaves and your livestock and spread your mercy and revive your dead land. Yeah. Um, and it has been done, I think, in the lifetime of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as well as, you know, nowadays. Mm. I know that His Holiness, for example, when he um, mentions these incidents of uh, how our missionaries and our imams go to different parts, remote parts of, of different countries, mm. For example, in Africa, you have this, and I, th- and I think even in the sub- subcontinent in some countries, where you you have these imams and they go out to these remote villages and the the farmers there or the people there, they request them for rain because it hasn't rained for months and months. So everybody is, of course, anxious. The livestock is under under uh, day, uh, under under threat mm. uh, that every um, animal is going to die farmland is is dried anyways so you have incidences and stories i've personally heard them from his own is yeah. where these 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 missionaries of the amdi muslim community they go they pray for rain and it actually rains but you can also have it the other way around there's also a prayer to stop the rain yeah. as well because when Allah's mercy and grace is so <laughs> abundant yeah. that you can get too much rain yeah. and you need to stop yeah, very interesting. Now, a report called Drought in Numbers 2022, published by the United Nations on the 12th of May of this year, mm. found that since 2000, the number and duration of droughts has risen by 29%. So from 1970 to 2019, weather, climate, and water hazards accounted for 50% of disasters and 45% of disaster-related deaths, mostly, of course, Sadly, in developing countries. Yeah. And droughts represent 15% of natural disasters, but they took the largest human toll, approximately 650,000 deaths from 1970 to 2019. Yeah. And then from 1998 to 2017, 
which is, again, what, we're talking about almost 20 years here, droughts caused global economic losses of roughly 124 billion U.S. dollars. Now, looking at just 2022, more than 2.3 billion people face water stress. Almost 160 million children are exposed to severe and prolonged droughts. You've seen the pictures from Yemen. You've seen the pictures of, you know, some of these African countries. It's it's not something that anybody should go through thinking about the fact that what is it seventy percent of the of, of the planet is is, is water? water yeah if not more if and, not but more. we can't drink it anyway yeah. so we have to like I said we've got to allow God to do his yeah. what he's created and how not it precipitates mess, not mess with his creation and, and that's right yeah. and because we are experiencing look if nothing is done and we do not step up I mean by 2030 an estimated 700 million people will be at risk of being displaced by drought 700 million people if you imagine 700 million people 4 million people were pretty much instantly displaced when Russia invaded Ukraine yeah. If you imagine 700 people will be at risk of being displaced by drought, it kind of puts it into context of how many people will suffer. By 2040, an estimated one in four children will live in an area with extreme water shortages. Prior to, I think, around uh, lockdown, a lot of people used to, in fact, reports used to come around with Madagascar Hmm. as saying it's the effect, what they do, I mean, the impact of what they're, Development, their industry, their agriculture has minimal effect on the climate change. But actually, the effect of the rest of the world has had nearly 80-90% of their drought. And this is what you're finding. And if we don't do something about it very soon, we're going to find that it's going to come on our doorstep like we're seeing today. But there are countries around the world that can cope with the heat because they're used to it. We in the United Kingdom, Mm. we can't, can we? I mean... If it's extreme weather, the underground stops working. If it's hot, the, Look, the, it wasn't melting. You know what we do? I'm not. I'm not downplaying it, but it was what is it? Forty, forty-two degrees for one day. Yeah, one day, and the whole week before that, it was uh, announced and oh, it's going to be this. It's going yeah. to be that. I mean, we we survived. I'm not again, not not downplaying it because we did see some damage here in London we did see people who are affected yeah. by 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 this extreme heat mm. but as you said we are not used to it no. we're absolutely not used to it um to, to to cope with it but then again this was just imagine just think about this the fact that there are people in the world who see this on a daily basis for them 42 degrees is nothing Add on top of that that you don't have running water. Add on top of that you don't have, you know, a fridge available where you just open it and you have ice in it or or cold water. It's not available. So it puts things into perspective how other people around the world live in situations like this. So we should be grateful. We should be thankful. We should be, you know, appreciative of all the things and, and the facilities that we have. And there's a lesson to be learned in everything. I think for for a Muslim specifically, there's a there's a narration of the Holy Prophet in which he says that a believer always learns. Um, he always, you know, there's always a lesson mm-hmm. to be learned. If anything good befalls him, he says, Alhamdulillah, you know, all praise belongs to Allah. If anything bad befalls him, he says, Alhamdulillah, I have an opportunity to better myself and, and, and make the best of it. So you don't despair, you don't give up, and, and, and you make the best out of that situation. Yeah, you're right. And well said. I mean, especially in these worrying times, we should always remember God, like you've said, 
I mean, it, it's his mercy at the end of the day, isn't it? As a, if you show mercy, Allah shows you yeah, mercy. And if yeah. we don't watch out for our neighbours, uh, is God going to watch that's out it. for us? And yeah. then I think that that's the key point there as well. I mean, in Islam, there is a drought due to the lack of rain. People might invite the mercy of God, like you said earlier. But there is, there's always hope, right? Mm. And, and that's what we believe in as, as a community as our leader, has his holiness, his advisors, has a Masoor, Amin, may Allah be his helper, all the time. Because if we do not make effect, really by 2050, droughts may affect over three quarters of the mm. world's population. That's three quarters of the world's population. So we have to do something about yeah, it. Yeah. And we have to uh, you know, take action. Now, we're going to come up to the news in just a few seconds, uh, but don't forget, we are going to be speaking about literacy, but as we mentioned, is today is World Literacy Day, so on Instagram, we're asking you a question on our Instagram story, go to Wusufsam UK, and leave us a comment, which book are you reading at the moment? Yeah. Uh, it can be any book, uh, it can be a recommendation as well, if uh, you have read something in the past, of course, I- I'm currently not reading a book right now. So but you read lots have- of literature yes right? of yeah. course yeah, yeah that's that's a different story but so if you have any recommendation by all recommendations by all means do send us a comment uh we're going to go to the five o'clock five o'clock news and then we'll be back after that don't go anywhere you're listening to the draft time show today with myself raza and hanif and here at the five o'clock news you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a recording and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace and blessings of God Almighty be upon you all. Thank you very much for joining us back here on The Voice of Islam today with myself, Raza, and Brother Hanif. In this part of the program, we are going to be talking about the International Literacy Day, which is celebrated on the 8th of September every single year. Now, its aim is to remind the global community about the importance of literacy for everyone and to push for efforts towards more literate societies. Despite all the progress which has been made, there are still 771 million young people and adults who lack basic literacy skills even today. So in this part of the program in today's show, we will discuss what what Literacy Day is and why it is celebrated. We're also going to discuss the basic human right to literacy from, of course, an Islamic perspective. Um, and we're enjoined to learn from nature, history, and social conditions of different nations and countries in so many parts of the Holy Quran, in so many narrations of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, which the underlying message is that you have to acquire knowledge. You have to be literate. You, It's not an option for you. It's a duty upon you. So in one narration, the uh, one of the... Companions of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him. He narrates that I heard the Prophet of Allah say, "The word of wisdom is the lost property of a Muslim, so that wherever he finds it, he should take it, as he is most entitled to it." Powerful stuff, yeah. You know, because we hear also if you wanted to go and get some knowledge as well, you should travel to yeah. China as well, and we said that so many times. And it just makes it into reality to realize how important it is. And it emphasizes that Muslims believe that it is right for a person to gain literacy as well as a basic education. And literacy is the first thing because you've got to 
learn to read and write. That's effectively what literacy is. But then you still need to get an education. Yeah. For you to be able to get an education, you've got to be literate. Yeah. So without having literacy, how are you going to educate yourself to learn more new things, yeah. to help a, a nation, a society to I don't, come out of poverty, find yeah. new ways of doing things? And I think, look, when, when we over here on, on, on the drive time, at least, the amount of times that we've asked about solutions to different problems. Mm. Um, I mean, you, you name it, from mental health issues to social issues to political issues and this and that and whatnot. Across the board, 95% of the time, the answer is education, uh, is about uh, knowledge, information, to tell the other people what, what is right and what mm. is wrong. And all of that, again, is connected mm. to, to, to literacy. So, you know, I want to ask you a question about this when you talk about knowledge. We believe, don't we, mm. that good, bad, whatever it is, what you have, what you don't have, all comes from God. Mm. So is that also, for example, this 95% of knowledge has all been given from, from God to the hum- to mankind? I mean, it starts with our faculties to think, yeah. to, to ponder and to contemplate. Again, the Holy Quran reminds us over and over again, encourages its readers and the, and, and, and the believers that ponder, think reflect mm. and, and, and and look towards the past, look towards what is in front of you, look toward and, and observe, simply put. Observe the laws of nature, observe nature uh, and look at look at history. So the faculty to think, the the, the this ability to to contemplate and to observe that mm. has been given to us yeah. by God Almighty, right? Yeah. The the matter of choice. Yeah. So we have a choice if yeah. we want to do A, B, C exactly. or D. And that's exactly after pondering and reflection and learning about the past and seeing what we can do in the future mm. is about choice. But yeah, God's given us that ability. Therefore has he given us and taught us say for example the discovery of penicillin, yeah. the discovery of an X-ray, for example. You know, we used to break our arms and, or legs or whatever, but we couldn't, don't know where the break is. But we learned how to develop an X-ray machine. You see, in, in when if you look at the history of religion, yeah. um, how religion evolved, uh, when you look at, for example, ancient faiths, ancient religions, mm how or the things that they consisted of meaning the teachings that they had um uh, the, the 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 mission of the prophets who brought those religions yeah. and compare it with what we believe to be the last uh religion given to to mankind by God almighty which is islam you'll find that it's it's a lot more detailed everything has been explained every there's not there's not a single problem that you will find which you cannot deal with from an Islamic point of view. I mean, here, again, Voice of Islam, every single show that you listen to, there's some sort of Islamic angle to it yeah. because we believe there's nothing that we cannot answer. And the same, I think, believe, uh, th- this is, again, my personal opinion, yeah. is with, with the history of mankind. So whenever there was a need for something to be developed, a need for something to be discovered, that's where God Almighty said, okay, now is the time invent penicillin or discover this discover yeah. that deal with this and 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 that's how yeah. we've progressed as as mankind because I, I i agree with you 100 percent, and i think somehow somewhere we will find an alternative to fossil fuel. sure and we'll be looking at the past of 
why did we burn all that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> why we, we could have done it simply yeah. like this, but there's a time when, and place, there's when, a need. When for the it. time is right. Yeah. Because you don't right. actually go and do something unless you're in pain or something. Yeah. The classic is you know you need to keep your teeth clean and yeah. healthy, but if you don't have a toothache, you're never going to go to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> But then the dentist will say to you, "Well, you should have come to me yeah. before." It's, it's about phasing out. I think it's it's all about for uh, just one thing that you know, at the top of my head that I I can remember of is about slavery. Yeah, okay. right. Slavery yeah. was not just abolished from day one, from one day to another. It wasn't said, "Okay, uh, now everybody's free and just just do whatever you want to do." When we saw this kind of approach in different parts and different uh, eras of history. We know what happened. Yes. It wasn't. It wasn't very smart. It wasn't yeah. wise. I mean, the decision itself was good, but the way it was implemented and it, the way it played out, not great. What you have in the history of Islam, for example, was a, a gradual phasing out of of slavery. Yeah. And when you just say in Islam, it wasn't Islam that created slavery. No, no, no. It no. was the Arab world at that uh, time when Islam came. Even before the yeah. Arab, even yeah. before that, I mean, it's it's probably one of one of the oldest uh, kind of things that 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 we yeah. have. You enslave other people just because you have the power and, yeah. and 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 the influence. But how you got rid of it? Same thing with you know alcohol or or, yeah. or immoral actions. When you convert from one religion to another, when you become Muslim, it's not just overnight. No, yeah. you start praying. That's it. Uh, you have to do this. You have to do that. Yeah. And if you forsake one thing, you're you're out of the fold of no. It's a gradual process. The same thing with mankind. Fossil fuels. You're talking about fossil fuels. I think I firmly believe. I mean, we're we're already headed that way, where you are slowly, slowly phasing out the use of fossil fuels. Of yeah. course, we're not ready to completely abandon it, but that time, I think and we're going to need that's going to come temporarily to be able to. Give us the time yeah. now, yeah. and you know you mentioned earlier about ninety-five percent of the world problems could be solved through education. When we looked at slavery, example, you gave, hmm. because they became literate, yeah, and becoming literate, they were able to get an education be and part of yeah. society. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, again, when when you have uh, someone who is not educated, someone who doesn't know anything but to follow orders. Or anything but to to obey his master or the owner, whatever that you know was called. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're free to do whatever you want. Yeah. Some will be able to handle it. Majority of them might not be. That's right. Having a phased approach. Well, anyway, we are talking about the history of the International yeah. Literacy <laughs> Day, but I think that was kind of a good way of bringing ourselves around to explaining the little the history of why it started and when did it start because the first international literacy day was celebrated in 1967 after unesco declared today on the 8th of september as an international literacy day in 1966 and so that's when it started and it started as an initiative to remind the common people about the importance of literacy and to remind them of their human rights. And it kind of feeds into what we were talking about earlier about slavery and giving them and teaching them about what their rights are as human beings. And then a more of a literate society, as we said earlier, leads towards a more sustainable society. And then we kind of often forget, don't we, that 
there are millions of people who struggle to gain literacy, let alone a formal education. Mm. And illiteracy is something that helps build a nation by allowing people to think for themselves and empower themselves. And that's exactly what we were talking about in the introduction, how we yeah. are, we gave slavery as an example. But there are many examples, mm. aren't they, to, to save yourself from a disaster yeah. or to help yourself through your health because you need to learn it. But you need a basic. I mean, I would be completely illiterate if I went to China, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, a single thing. I would be lost completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, I could learn it because I would teach myself to become literate. And yeah. I guess we're very lucky and we're very snobberish, I believe, that we know English, we can read and write English. Yeah. <laughs> it makes life easy for us. But actually, imagine me. I mean, you expected uh, to be smoking <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it's like what you don't speak English. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but imagine me going to. They'll say, "Would well, you speak Mandarin yeah. or Cantonese?" But it's a billion. You don't have people. to go to China. Go to go to France. There you go. <laughs> they'll, they'll refuse <laughs> talking to you. Well, you're lucky. You can go to Germany and you'll be fine. Right? <laughs> All right. Now, just before we go to our first guest yeah. for this hour, um, just a reminder: we're asking you a question on our Instagram uh, story. So go to Voices Now UK, and we want to know what book you are reading at the moment. Yeah. So go to Voices Now UK and leave us a comment. Um, our next guest or our first guest for this part of the program is Jane Prescott. Jane is the headmistress of the Portsmouth uh, How, How High School. I do apologize. Um, and we're going to ask Jane a few questions about this topic. Jane, good afternoon. Peace upon you and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Thank you very much for inviting me to speak. It's great to have you on. Now, how important, if I can ask you, is literacy compared to other subjects studied in school and what what how do you explain the importance of that to to your students i think it's really important because it's the gateway to those other students those other subjects um if you can't access book uh, information the written word then you're hindered in so many different subjects it leads to your understanding and so many areas of our curriculum and that's what makes it so important and this isn't just about being able to read it is about being able to understand and apply that information apply that knowledge to whatever situation you're in mm. so i think the way that we explain its importance is exactly that that um, being able to do math and to be able to um access that aspect of the curriculum is very important and it touches on other subjects like science but your literacy your ability to read and understand it's so many other areas of the curriculum too you know it's very important and when you take this step a little bit further um you know i, I could say that i pretty much was illiterate when it comes to mathematics um it was hard for me but you know we did it but the school helped me a lot and you know what does your school currently do to promote literacy towards like young children? Well, right from an early age, we yeah. have a really strong focus on excellent reading text. Okay. And I think it's important to say age-appropriate literature. Mm. There can be a feeling that you should just be you know, galloping through reading schemes, but it is also about understanding what you read because that leads to an enjoyment of it. Um, so throw those high quality text 
people are regularly learning and they're using their new vocabulary. We're fortunate enough to have weekly library sessions with our school librarian so children can choose what they wish to read and they can ask about the books that are there in the library, which are fiction as well as um, more fact books. We have young writer competitions. Some of those are national. Some of those are across our school network. We're part of the Girls' Day School Trust, the GDSP. Mm. And so they get lots of opportunity to use their imagination. It's not always, of course, written. Sometimes it's storytelling through puppets and music and drama and role play, which is bringing story and language alive to pupils. And, of course, there's lots of speakers that we have in Mm. that generate an interest. Wonderful. Jane, um, now this is probably, well, not actually, this is for everyone, but from from my point of view, having a son who just joined year two and another one on on his way, for us as parents, um, I mean, we some of parents, they do rely only and solely on, on, on the teachers and on, on the schools to give them the education, but I'm sure that's not the right approach. We still have a role to play. So in what ways do you think that we as parents and guardians, we can help our children at home to, to improve uh, in their literacy? Well, I think there's several ways. First of all, I think there's positive modeling yourself as a parent, so you're reading books that you're reading um, and you can talk about some of that literature with quite young children, depending on what it is. You can talk about books that you read as a child that you enjoyed and introduce them to those. And I think they like that idea of reading things that you have read previously and liked. Hmm. Um, I think also always having lots of literature around, but it's quite important not to put children off. Yeah. And I think as parents, we're quite keen on some of the more weighty novels and uh, large, you know, books yeah. that, class- that are classified as classics. And actually, it doesn't really matter what children are reading as long as they're reading. So yeah. that might be comics. That might be shorter pieces. It's not always long books. And I think that encourages them to read too. Certainly, my parents used to get me to read signs as we went along in the car or walking along the road. So you can make it into a little bit of a game too. Hmm. Um, I want to ask you something about um, <laughs> social media. Now, it's it's always something that the generation before says that, oh, this next generation is this, and in my time we used to do this and that. Um, how how are things today with with social media being rampant? Is it difficult to get the kids reading? Is it difficult to 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 you know, still have that passion for for a book because I remember the first time I came to 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 London, I think in two thousand, what was it, five or four? If you went to the underground, everybody had a book in 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 their hands. <laughs> Nowadays, you you're, you'll be lucky if you see one. So things are changing, of course, but with times and with 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 progress and with technology, how how do you keep up with that? Um, I think sometimes we think that they're not necessarily reading when they're on devices. Certainly when I've been on the underground or whatever recently, people are reading Kindles, they are reading yeah. on their phones. But even they those are, are disappearing now. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because they're not necessarily an actual book. Yeah. Um, it, they might be using their devices in order to access literature, literature too. But um, I, I think what you say is true. Certainly when I was a child, there were there wasn't... TikTok or YouTube mm. to distract me. There the, the was only a book. 
and I really enjoyed it. But when I talk to my year sevens and I say, what do you really do you enjoy reading? The vast majority of them do like reading. Hmm. They have got a book on the go. They like reading series. I think a lot of the modern texts that have come out hmm. are very engaging for them. They are about life as it is now. And um, they like reading about um, people who have different lives to them, perhaps disabilities or different situations, different parts of the world. Um, So I think books are still engaging to young children. It's your teenagers, I think, who get a bit more distracted, shall we say, by the aspects of social media. Is, Is reading a blog, reading a book... Sorry, could you say it to me again? Yeah, is reading a blog or blog post... Reading a book. Yes, it is. I often say that, actually. And I I speak to um, girls in my school who want to become writers. And I often say, start off by writing a blog. Get Mm. an audience. Develop a following who are interested in what you have to say. And, you know, keep it short. And I have three children. They weren't great readers, actually. They're very successful adults now. And they read now that they are much, much older. Um, but I, my, one of my children was quite dyslexic, and he certainly really enjoyed, and does still now, enjoys listening to podcasts. Yeah. So I think okay. it doesn't necessarily have to be reading, reading. It can be listening to talking books and those sorts of things that yeah. engage, interest you. And watching a YouTube video, is that like reading? <laughs> I guess not, right? Well, are you pushing the boundaries here today, Because <laughs> well, I, can, I can hear people listening. Well, I, you know, I listen to documentaries on YouTube. I don't yes, need to read a book, so is that the same thing? Yes, it is. And a lot of them are subtitled. So you are reading, I remember. Oh, okay. you got to turn on the subtitles. <laughs> yeah, when I took my son um, to see a film once that was subtitled because it was half in another language, I said, you really must read this book. It's so good. He says, I felt I've just read it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I mean, the reading's reading. It doesn't matter where it comes from, does it? It's developing that literacy, developing your vocabulary. That's right. a, that's a good approach. I think yeah. yeah, that's that's what a lot of people are like. No, reading is a book. That's it. You, it's got to be your hard copy. But you know, as you, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that's very right. Yeah, because you rightly like, say, don't you? On, people don't. They're not used. Yeah. They're not reading books. They're they're on their phones because yeah. you mentioned about the underground. But most way, if you travel now on our rail network, mm. you've got internet access yeah. and you can read anyway. Because obviously, one more just before I ask your last question, it is also about people texting now. They need to be able to text and communicate in their texts appropriately mm. and have a and some sort of degree of literacy to be yeah. able to communicate properly. See, it's the same thing, right? That's where that's where the difference between Twitter and Instagram where yeah. TikTok comes in, isn't it? Um, lastly there, Jane, as a head, what do you believe that needs to be done by the government, for example, to improve literacy rates amongst the youth? Is there enough being done or do we do we need to change something? Well, we can always do more. Sure. It's never enough. And I think if the government could support local authorities in keeping as many libraries <coughs> open as they possibly oh, can yeah. to give Very, free yeah. access, um, and especially mobile libraries to more remote communities um, that uh, have been a lifeline for a lot of people for a lot of years, and those sorts of services have been cut where um, you know the economy is stretched and so on. So I think to try and help that is great. And then not to come up with strategies that put children off so that when you have reading lists, it is a diverse 
range of literature that includes modern literature as well as older literature, that it's about other parts of the world and country, different people, um, different situations, so yeah. that they learn so much through their reading that they're really engaged with it. What we don't want is a set of strategies that mean it's a very narrow scheme that's being offered. Thank you very much for your time today. It's been absolutely fantastic. You've clarified a few things about I so I can get away with reading subtitles on a YouTube video and I can say, well, I read a book. So yeah. thank you for that, Jane. Absolutely. <laughs> Jane Prescott, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Okay, great thank you, you very much. Take care. Thank Peace be so, upon you. Yeah, a really great call there. But I, I want to, you know, when we talk about literacy, hmm. And we talk about Afghanistan hmm. and we talk about girls and women are not allowed to get an education. But when you look at the history of Islam and you read some of the sayings hmm. of our beloved Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And we talk about an equal society. Everything he said didn't just say to men, did it? No. He meant to the whole of society. I mean, if you even go back to where he got his teachings from mm. the Holy Quran. Um, if you read verses of the Holy Quran, that it, they, it, it's, it addresses mankind. It addresses believers. Yes, in some instances, it addresses the believing men and the believing women. Mm. But it, uh, like, to, to make sure that in front of God Almighty, as far as the teachings are concerned, there's no difference. They're applicable to men as well as women. And one incident that I, or one one thing that I do remember very clearly, mm. and I think we've mentioned this before as well, that if you look at the teachers uh, of the time of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, it was his wife. His wife was one of the earliest teachers of Islam and about the, the teachings of Islam when even the most senior companions who who lived with the Holy Prophet, who saw him, who, 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 who memorized things that he said, they would come to her and ask her about Islamic jurisprudence. They would yeah. ask her about you know, questions related to Islam. So she was a woman. Yes, I, I, I mean, you might say that she, she, she was the, the wife of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, but still, she was a woman, wasn't she? So she was... A teacher and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon her, said about her specifically that you can learn half of the faith you can learn from Aisha. Yeah, that just goes to show. That so who are who is anyone in, right. in in this day and age who who has the authority who has any say whatsoever that women are not allowed to acquire education? Who Ex are you? So that's why I would narrate his point about Afghanistan. That has got nothing to do, no. zero to do with the teachings of Islam. No. They don't follow, I mean, they might call themselves Muslims and followers of Islam, but just taking that one example, and you so eloquently described that you could learn half of the religion Islam, which most of the world uh, are followers yeah. of, and is one of the fastest growing religions in the world as well, you could have you could learn from his wife, Hazrat Aisha. Yeah, that... that so when people say, "Oh, Islam is like Afghanistan," no, yeah, <laughs> please don't. It's it's absolutely. I mean, you have these so-called Islamic countries: Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia. I don't know. Put Pakistan in there too. Put yeah. Turkey in there too. 
they're they're not representative of the religion. They have Muslims in them, and this is something that we don't have the authority, we don't have the right to mm. take that away from anyone. Yeah. If you call yourself a Muslim, you're a Muslim. But you need to practice what you preach. Yeah. You need to follow that religion. And, and I think in this day and age, that was the reason why the, the Promised Messiah, the founder of the Ahmadi Muslim community, why he was assigned and commissioned by God Almighty for this day and age to bring people back to the actual teachings, to bring people back to the real kind of Islam mm. and, 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 and the core yeah. teachings of what the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah, be put him left behind. Now, you might still ask the question, why literacy? Although most commonly described as the ability to read and write, literacy is not just that. It can be interpreted different, differently in different societies. For example, some societies will not give huge importance to being able to read, say, for example, a newspaper or, or, or you know, a book, but they will give more importance to being able to read complex visual and digital media too. So reading is not just used in school or for articles, books, or newspapers. Rather, we use reading every day in our life. For example, reading signs, messages, emails, labels, and as Jane mentioned, even YouTube videos. (laughs) (laughs) With subtitles. With subtitles. (laughs) Now, moving on. Writing is the same. We don't only write when our teacher tells us to, but writing is, you know, needed for communication. Nowadays, we tend to, you know, communicate in written forms such as, you know, SMS, text messages, WhatsApp messages, emails. So let's quickly set aside our emphasis of the need for literacy for day-to-day functions. Literacy also plays a vital role in transforming students into socially engaged citizens because it means that they will be able to keep up with current events, they understand issues which our society is facing, and they will be able to communicate effectively and come up with solutions. Yeah, and then when you can read and write, which you explained... You can broaden your horizons yeah. as well. You can go and gain knowledge from anywhere. And you have the right to learn and educate yourself. And as we said, Islam encourages it in a big way to go and seek knowledge. And when, I mean, th- not knowledge through the observation, uh, what I want to just read here very quickly, because you mentioned about the Promised Messiah, mm. who is the founder of of the Ahmadi Muslim community who was there to revive the religion of Islam and, and explain the teachings hmm. again in in a sense that we can understand them in, in today's age. He, he says that the knowledge has three stages and he explained that knowledge through inference and knowledge through observation and knowledge through experience. And he gives a really good, easy way to be able to understand this through an illustration of these three stages of a, of a person who is commonly understanding this. So he says that when you observe smoke at a distance, his reasoning through the association includes that there's some sort of existence of fire because hmm. the former does not exist without the latter. This knowledge is through inference. But if a person gets closer to the fire and he sees it with his own eyes, then this knowledge is through observation. However, if he gets so close to the fire that he touches it with his own hands, this knowledge is through experience. So that is in Mulfazat, volume 10, page 402, which kind of explains how you understand and how you can learn. And I'm just putting myself in China again when I see the signs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to take an interpreter with me to try and 
understand them and, and work out and associate. I can imagine myself going to Russia as well. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. Although the alphabet is very different. So we still need to learn and educate ourselves continuously. And through this example of the promised Messiah is really important when you look at the analysis yeah. and knowledge and, and everything else. So psychological analysis of knowledge uh, also indicates several stages of understanding and competence from you know what you've just said uh, read out from uh, the words of the promised messiah the first stage obviously begins with simple information about a subject which is where literacy is essential now when the information is complete it becomes understanding when this understanding is put to some practical use it then becomes a skill so a person with most competent skills may be called a specialist in that field or subject and there's no end to learning and perfection belongs to Allah alone. There's no end to learning. It's What was the saying? Uh, that you, you should acquire knowledge from the cradle to the grave. Yeah. So up until we're taken away from this world, there's, there's, there's always room to learn. There's always room to improve. There was a, a gentleman when I talk about blog, 91 years old, mm. he was writing a blog. Yeah. He's lived nearly 100 years and he probably had a pen pal friend where he used to write letters, receive them, and now he's on, on a blog where technical knowledge through the IT, he must have been learning because we know many people, once they get an education, they get into a job, that's it. They don't really want to do yeah. anything else. Yeah. And I'm not degrading post men, post ladies, post or in my profession, camera operators, who once they learn a trade, that's it. They've got their craft. Mm. Does that mean they stop learning? No, they shouldn't, but many people do. Once you know a skill, you're earning some money. You're comfortable. comfortable. But what we're saying here is that you should continue learning, continue to experience things in a good way so you can improve society, right? There's a calamity. All you know, I watched this movie, most people might want to watch it, about, mediocrity and it's a film that's based when a man he ends up falling asleep for about 100 200 i don't know how long okay he suddenly wakes up and then he was a very mediocre person mm. and when he wakes up in society they're all don't know anything absolutely because the knowledge what they did they didn't pursue Going themselves down, yeah. And he ended up being the most intelligent person. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good movie. But you should reflect on this aspect of continuous learning. We yeah. can't we can't slow down so we end up stopping. Yeah, yeah. A nation needs to educate itself. We desperately need everyone to become literate and continue learning all the time and transforming ourselves. I mean, look at yourself now. You're a radio presenter. Well, yeah. yeah. Did you have thought? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Most people don't even understand what I'm saying half the time. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I look at you, look at me, some of those blank faces. You think, <laughs> are you on about? <laughs> I'm thinking about a response. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, always enjoy it. Yeah. Leaf. No no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely no doubt. <laughs> now, coming to uh, this year's theme, we said in the beginning that on the 8th of September every year it's a World Literacy Day. Yeah. And this year's theme is transforming literacy learning spaces. Um and that was, you know, will give us all an opportunity to reconsider the vital role that learning spaces play in ensuring an equitable and inclusive environment yeah. for all students. Now, as a result of the COVID pandemic, school closures and disruptions, they have likely driven learning losses and dropouts. And this is especially true 
for you know the vulnerable population. A lot of people have been unable to continue in education as they have had to focus more on providing for themselves during these difficult times. And also, you know, when we spoke about kids in the first half of the program, kids had to provide for the family in different parts of the world, in certain countries. They couldn't afford to 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 have a child in school, basically, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, you're right. If a child is having to go yeah. and get water so what happens is you know you mentioned about the work that our community is doing in the field of water wells mm. getting clean water so if you have a child that doesn't then need to spend a whole morning to go and get some water and then bring it back home to feed the family if the water well is next to them what happens is that they can then go to school yeah the father who's out in the field can work the waterborne diseases don't affect the family the family becomes better. They become prosperous. Hmm. The whole village becomes more prosperous. It can Everyone's at work. Everyone's becoming literate, educated. So the power of having clean water in a remote village can transform everything. So that's just yeah. taking the, what you were saying earlier to like a, another step. Now, in response to this urgent situation, UNESCO and its member states, they are redoubling their efforts mm. to ensure that progress made in recent decades is but reinforced. Today and tomorrow, Cote d'Ivoire is hosting a worldwide hybrid international event. And consequently, the prestigious UNESCO International Literacy Prizes will be presented in a ceremony in 2022 to honor the best literacy programs and initiatives of the year. Mm. But... I mean, this is all again all good and fine, but it starts as we mentioned. It starts at home, and if we don't have this uh, kind of coverage of 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 learning, this space available for learning for everyone around the world, then again, what what exactly are we are we getting out of it? If one half of the population, one half of the world, is literate is you know uh, able to access all of the resources and and information and books and whatnot mm. but on the other side of the world you have this darkness of of knowledge it's, yeah this is one of the sad situations of when people started becoming literate becoming education learn to read mm. the society started dividing itself to those who are able to become educated to those that were not able to become literate. So they were more reliant and people used to hold the knowledge and they become more in control yeah. and they would take all the benefits. But actually having a scheme like this, that UNESCO and its member states are doubling its efforts, will try and rebalance a lot of that. Because as you know, Cop the Ward, or most people might know as Ivory Coast, yeah. because of all the civil wars it's had there, you had so many people living in the capital city, more people had to leave their homeland to come to the city. That city is pretty packed out. Hmm. And I was very fortunate to go there to go and do a documentary for one of our charities, Humanity First, to kind of understand the work that they're doing about building hospitals and uh, building schools and educating and, and help the population in Court the Board uh, become educated. So that's something really great. I'm really glad that this yeah. is actually happening here. Wonderful. Now, we've asked you on um, Inst- on, on Instagram yeah. uh, poll 
about what you are reading at the moment. Um, there's a few replies that we have received. One says that Time Out by Emma Murray. I have no idea. No. We, we can look that up. <laughs> uh, and uh, another one said Nabiun uh, Kasadar, which is the seal of the prophets, I believe, yeah. which is a biography of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and you know, highly recommended. If that's the one, um, then yeah, it's, it's it's a wonderful, fantastic book. Yeah, uh, maybe you could also ask one of the what are the most favorite books that, that someone has read. Um, and at, where were they when they read that book? Because hmm. growing up, you would read different types I of books. I think that, yeah. that's a very good question. Where were you when you read that book? Yeah. Yeah. Brings yeah. back memories as well. Isn't it just if you're underneath a tree taking a, a well-earned break, so right, I'm going to treat myself to a nice yeah, book. Yeah. Most people think, really? I just would <laughs> I watch a movie somewhere on my iPhone or something. <laughs> but actually, no. I mean, it is really important that we kind of understand about literacy how important it is and hopefully you know we've managed to let people know how important yeah. it, it is and, and the importance that islam puts on it. actually if you look at most religions most people if you look at history the importance of education that's why we have so many libraries i mean yeah. if you look at the history and the golden ages Oof. of islam how many libraries were built and today you can go to them and see books that were written back then in libraries and the museums mm. and show how important Islam and other religions considered education and being literate. And I think it's 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 all about the th- these injunctions of the Holy Quran where it says that you should ponder, you should look, look mm. towards I mean, look, in, in so many different verses you, you or, you know, parts of the Holy Quran, you are kind of being given this message about God Almighty trying to 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 get the message across by 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 talking and by explaining it through different means. So you have uh, you know the sun, the moon, the stars, the heaven, the earth. Uh, you know things that are crawling in the earth, things that are flying in 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 the air. Um, it talks about mountains. It talks about previous people. It mm. talks about previous prophets, previous nations, and all of these things are there for us to. Maybe I'm interested in stars, astrology. Maybe I'll look at the stars and I'll look at the heavens and the earth, and then I okay, I realize, oh, hold on, that, that that's that's crazy. Mm. I mean, I've learned something from that. Maybe someone is interested in geology, or maybe someone is interested in something else. So, all of the different things that we have in the world through observation, and isn't that what scientists do? Observe, right? I mean, scientists are so amazing people. Not only do they warn us about global events, as if people are willing to listen about climate change, right? <laughs> there are still people say that climate change is, is not going to happen. And uh, forgive me if I've offended people anyway. But actually, if you look at something that's mentioned in the Holy Quran about bees, yeah. you've got bees, scientists. Exactly, yeah. I mean, what wonderful creatures are they? And they're mentioned in the Holy Quran and how they behave yeah. and when they go to their beehive. Where do they go to find the right place to be able to create the honey that we use in our daily lives? Yeah. And we know that the benefits of honey are so great for us as individuals. Yeah. So the honey that they produce, they share it with us. Yeah. Although we don't take it all, but we take some, their access, for us. Yeah. And it's all in, described how beautiful a bee is in the Holy Quran as well. And so much more. Now... 
Let's go to our next guest for today. We yeah. have with us Ned Zimmerman Bentz with us on the line. Uh, Ned is the co-founder of Gogi Up, <laughs> and we're going to talk to Ned about what Gogi Up actually is and a few more questions. Ned, good afternoon, peace upon you, and welcome to the Draft Time Show. Well, good afternoon to you all as well, and um, pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for joining us today. Now, Ned. Tell us about Gogi Up. Hopefully, I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, what is the purpose of Gogi Up? What are your goals? How did you come up with that? Well, actually, I'm so glad you pronounced it um, in- somewhat incorrectly, and that's actually our whole point. Um, so, our, our company is called uh, is spelled G O G Y U P, and we call it Gogi Up. Gogi Up. Some people call it Gogi Up. Gogi Up. And other people call it Googly Up. But Gogi Up, G O G Y U P, is kind of the, the basic way we talk about it. And the reason is um, we named our company um, is because that little bit of uncertainty that you just experienced is what folks who uh, cannot read um, experience thousands of times a day, either in their workplace or at the doctor's office mm. or if they're trying to help with their kid's school. Um, and so what we've done, our, our mission really is to kind of move the needle, if you will, um, on adult illiteracy, um, primarily, obviously, in the United States, if you can tell by my accent, mm. but also, you know, in any Anglophone country. Um, we're really trying, in the United States, we have an issue of, you know, 36 million adults of working age yeah. um, are unable to read beyond very basic you know, sight words. Um, and that's an issue when you're trying to uh, get a job that pays a livable wage. And it's an issue when you're trying to uh, follow through on your doctor's instructions. Hmm. Um, and it's an issue when you're trying to help with your child's schooling or even kind of understand the notice that came home from school. Um, and so what we do is we provide... Uh, we provide mobile apps that are free to use um, that people can uh, use with a phone or with their computer or with their tablet. Um, you can scan a document and we will provide immediate reading assistance to you. Hmm. Um, but more importantly, um, we also provide little micro lessons in how the English uh, print code um, works so that, you know, if you chuck, <laughs> like take the word uh, charge in English, there's about 20 different <laughs> meanings for the word charge, which mm. could be, you know, either electrical charge or it could be something you do with your credit card or it could be like a military movement. Um, and so what we do is we provide uh, folks with the ability to, uh, first of all, look at those first two letters, CH and no, ch, that's the ch sound. Mm. We'll provide a little micro lesson on that. We'll also provide contextualized uh, definitions for that word based on how, how it's being used in the sentence. Hmm. Um, and that the theory is that over time, uh, people will build their basic literacy skills while they're using the documents and other types of print material they have to use just to get through modern hmm. daily life. Now, Ned, I want to ask you something. I saw one clip. Um, you know, there's a there's a show in the United States. What would you do with the? Uh, I think it was a John Kenyonis or something. Uh, he he. They had one. I, I saw this one clip about um, adult illiteracy as people not being able to read. 
So they try to raise awareness about the fact that, you know, you have so many millions of Americans, as you mentioned, 36, what was it, 36 or 37 million Americans? Yep, 36 million. Yeah, 36 million. Um, so... How how difficult is it to overcome? Um, yeah, I wouldn't call this stigma, but it, it's it, it's a little bit of a shame as well, isn't it? That you you well, have to yeah. overcome to ask for help. Mm. Well, yes. Well, there's two things. There's the stigma that you have to overcome, um, and then the on the other side of that, there's also you have gotten so good, um, probably at you know managing without being able to read. Yeah that you know, the motivation might become a little less. I'm just, you know, that's an assumption on my part, to be honest. But mm-hmm. we do see that. So one of our, you know, how we make money as a company is we actually work with employers who take our, uh, one, our another system that we've developed um, and use that in their employment training. Now, employees, again, get that immediate help, but employers can also then see, you know, aggregate anonymized so they don't know exactly which employee is having trouble but they can see which employees are having trouble understanding or not (laughs) they can see that employees are having trouble understanding certain documents so then they can rewrite those documents to better uh, hopefully make them more accessible to their employees Um, but yeah so there but to your point yes there is a a stigma uh, you know just think of how horrible it would be how hard it would be to be a father or mother and not being able to help your kid with their homework mm. um, or not. And, you know, frankly, with, again, United, this is all, you know, United States data, but health disparities, the number, like one of the leading causes, in fact, probably the number one cause of health disparities in the United States, aside from racism and, and things like that, is the fact that is the ability for the patient to effectively communicate with their provider. And if their provider is speaking at a, at a level that is not at the same, the same as the, um, the patient, be it they're an immigrant or if they've just never, you know, don't understand what, you know, blood pressure is or A1C for diabetes and things like that, you're not going to be able to communicate with your provider to kind of get to help manage your care. Um, so it, it really is, you know, a, a wide ranging, it affects so many different areas mm. of life and so many different social outcomes. Yeah, <clears throat> you're exactly right. I mean, I worry about, we spoke about the displacement of people, where people are having to migrate and the first generation and the Mm. second generation where, say, the second generation who have become native to the country who speak easily the language, read, write, but the parents haven't been able to catch up because, one, it's hard for them to learn a new language and then the children are way ahead. So you have it so many times, don't you, where you do go to the doctors with your children and it's the children who are explaining to Uh, the doctor the conditions of their parents. mm -hmm, Right. (laughs) uh, Right. It it is an issue and I can only see it getting worse. So, And it also relates to the second question we have with you is about the difference between the impact of digital and non-digital tools that are used to improve literacy. And Is is there a big difference or, or can both help both the generations? Well, we, we think so. We, to, to the second <laughs> question, we think it can certainly help. We don't necessarily, we absolutely don't want to replace what's being used right now. We want to kind of enhance and amplify it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I think that, you know, and it, the, it, reading digitally is, you know, very different, um, I think. I really haven't found the research to back this up, but, you know, 
it's a different type of um, mindset when you're reading a, a printed book or when you're reading a printed newspaper or um, as opposed to when you're reading digitally. Maybe it's because of the context. You're you know, on the go on, on, when you're reading on your phone, um, but you, know, you might have a more quiet area when you're trying to get through a newspaper or, or a school notice or something like that. Um, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. going. <laughs> no, no, I, I understand exactly. Here, yeah. uh, I mean, you, you've kind of explained really well about how important it is for individuals' success and how it is important to enhance their lives. But how effective is literacy aided in this surviving the pandemic? Has that been really crucial? And and have you noticed that those who are illiterate and literate and how they've been able to cope? Um, we haven't really, we haven't been around long enough because um, mm. we started just before the pandemic really hit here. However, what I would say is that uh, we saw, so we existed for about a year. And then when the pandemic came around, we saw a sharp increase in the usage of our apps, um, mm-hmm. partly because, you know, everybody, every single education uh, initiative here had to go quote virtual yeah. or digital um and so you know uh adult basic ed programs is, um here in the united states they were able to use our our system to be able to kind of continue their work yeah. um and so we saw a sharp increase of usage um what we're really excited about now is that we have three years of data that we're starting to look at to see uh, you know over time if people are using our app are they able to improve their their basic literacy skills Um, and you know whether that's you know at their home or at the workplace or we're just about to launch a study uh, funded by our National Institute of uh, Health to see how we can possibly impact um, in a good way uh, diabetes education Um, and so we just don't have the data yet. Okay well we wish you the best of luck. We'll come back to find out more about the data. In a couple of years. Ned, yeah, great. thank you very much for, for joining us today, sir. It was great to have you on. Ned uh, is the co-founder of Goji Up. Uh, Ned Zimmerman. Very good. With us <laughs> yeah, <on the> line. <laughs> you got it. Goji Up. Goji Up. Thank you very much. Take All right. care. Have a good day. Have All right. Good. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number for you to call. Now, we are coming to the end of today's program. And at the end, there's just a few more things that mm. we want to say. Uh, well, actually, we've spoken about quite a lot of what the Holy Quran yeah. uh, talks about and, and the message that um, it gives to all of the the, you know, the, the readers uh, or the Muslims in, in specific who believe in it. We, we've spoken about you know the verses that talk about the creations of the heaven and the earth that talk about you know the day going into the night, the night coming mm. into the day, and 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 so many you know different things. So it's a it's a powerhouse basically of all knowledge for man for all times. But one thing that I, you know I, one last thing that I want to say is the beginning of the word of 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 the Holy Quran. It started with that message. And it was about it's it was a command, and it was about gaining knowledge, iqra, the meaning read. Read was the first word ever revealed to man because I I think I mean I read this and and, and heard this in different mm. parts of of, uh, of you know some of the the shows and and the books as well that this is the era from now on where 
it's going to be about knowledge. Knowledge is something that is going to change the course of the world. It's about the knowledge of the maker. It's about the knowledge of religion. It's about the knowledge of the spiritual realm that we have kind of forgotten and lost touch to that is going to bring us back and, and should bring us back to, to, to the way where yeah. we should be. <clears throat> and if we don't, we might end up in a stone age. That's it. Because if we don't educate and understand and talk to another one and communicate ourselves properly, we could end up in a, a third world war without us even realizing because no. we were, did not educate ourselves. We didn't look at the history, look at the future, look at the past, and then we'll end up with sticks and bones. Stones. Uh, yeah, you know, sticks and stones to, to move forward. But yeah, you, you're totally right. And I think I, I would also say that uh, literacy is fun. Because it, it was interesting yeah. what Ned said. You know, there are some words that have so many different meanings. And I did a quick Google search and I, I noticed them myself. I struggle with the word fair, desert, lie, <laughs> lead. They're all kind of spelt, but they all mean so many, <laughs> so many different things without even realizing by for now, uh, you know, you should, second. You, should, second? You, you, you don't have grandkids. Uh, I have grandkids. Oh, yeah. So when they go into year one and two, you should sit down with them and then you think about it. My goodness, what is this language all about? That's right. And they will give you the most genuine responses. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. So that's it. So what we'll do, we'll, we'll call it a day because I think we've caught up with the news. We just want a yeah. bit of time there to thank our producers because obviously it's always important to those who prepare all the notes for us. Well, thank you very much to Rabita Khan and Hani Mubarak and Sadiqa Tariq for that. Anyway, here's the six o'clock news.